Historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Okay, I'm just going to remind you that the last line of the last episode was Jack, my dear, it's time you've learned who you truly are. So one would think this episode is going to start off with Jack, here's who you are. Nope. You better surrender yourself to some disappointment because that shit ain't, 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 anyway. Let's start by taking their eyes. Vatic and the Changelings have control of the ship. Vatic shuts down the communication between everybody so they can't talk to each other and our heroes are deciding what they need to do. The bridge crew is all captured and uh, Jack, Sidney, and Picard and Beverly are all holed up in stick bay or wherever they are. And LaForge and Alondra are in the lab with mostly data. And they, they unplug them just to be sure. Or can't control what he can't access. Oh shit, you know what I said mostly data? Uh, corrupted data, I can't believe I didn't think of uh, corrupted data for the last recap, shit. Anyway, uh, that one's on me. So anyway, the Chainlands are going through the ship and they're looking for Jack and they're pretty much killing, you know, everybody who ain't Jack. So Jack reaches out with his mind and he takes over a red shirt, so he gets to experience a phaser blast, secondhand, first person, secondhand. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the strike, uh, Deanna and Riker are bonding over um, marital trauma and gallows humor, and that is a uh, fantastic scene. You should know, the changeling came to our home pretending to be you. It's pretty charming, too. Really? I'm charming. Good in bed, bad at pizza. <laughs> So just like me. Did we do the right thing, giving them a compromised code? I couldn't let him torture you anymore. And I knew Jean-Luc would know what to do. Right now, he's set a classic Captain Picard trap, and as we speak, he's got her on the ropes. Yeah, because he blends in perfectly and speaks a dozen languages. We've seen it before. So Shaw is pissed that uh, Seven didn't blow up the turbo lift uh, when she had the chance. You are a Starfleet officer. You don't have the luxury to only make choices that feel hunky-dory. Everything has consequences. Consequences like saving your life. Commander, My name is Seven of Nine. Consequences that haven't happened yet. Not just to you or me, but to the entire ship. Yeah, you know, not to pile on, but not just the ship, because all of Starfleet, possibly the, the Alpha Quadrant. But you know what? Don't even sweat it. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Oh, Jack, you have ten minutes to come to the bridge, or I'll execute... Every last motherfucking one of you. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. One crew member for every ten minutes that follow. Absolutely not, Jack. Don't sacrifice yourself. Let's be clear then, shall we? I am not a changeling. I have never changed into or from anything. I am who I am. Well, yes, and... Something has changed in me. I can connect to people. See through their eyes, move their bodies. I've seen him do what he's talking about. Felt him do it. 
to me. And they and they take this all uh, pretty well, considering. Which makes sense, because both uh, Beverly and Picard have seen some shit. Maybe something we can try. High-ranking Starfleet officers are given an override codex. So they hatch a plan to uh, have Jack take over one of the bridge hostages and have him type in the top-secret manual override code. And that plan almost kind of works. Reach out with the mind? Check. Take over some dude? Check. Punch in the code? Check. Hit into oh shit. How did you know Jean-Luc Picard's override codex? Is that you, Jack Crusher? Look at you. Finally living up to all your potential. Here's a, a shining example of Vatic once again rubbing it in your face that she's the only person who knows what the f*** is going on on this show. Shout out to my man here. Lieutenant Matthew Wireless Mirror. Picard has a son. Why don't you tell him to come up here? Because I'm starving. Snitches get stitches and my boy Mirror is ride or die. Unfortunately, so was Tabeet. She just executed Lieutenant Tabeet. So Picard and company have to come up with a plan B. Meanwhile, on the strike, uh, Riker and Troy stop being polite and start getting real. You gave up. I didn't give up. I was numb. Because our son died, Deanna, and I needed to feel the grief. And you used your Betazoid powers to dull the pain. Well, unlike you, I felt the weight of everyone's grief and not just my own. It was my last connection to him. And you tried to erase it. Not erase it. Help you carry it. But I forgot the one thing that all counselors should remember. You can't skip to the end of healing. Also, it turns out that they both hate uh, living in their quaint little cabin in the woods. It's like it was designed by a cabal of retro prairie hipsters. It's the way the, the front steps groaned at me. It's a very judgy foyer and those birds every morning like screaming babies. You know what they say? The only thing worse than a woodpecker is a two-headed two woodpecker. Are two-headed woodpeckers a thing in Star Trek? I'm just gonna assume that they are. I'm gonna say yes. Yes, they are. Anyway, so the changeling guard comes back and a second later, guess who shows up playing the world's stabbiest game of peekaboo? Yeah. Worf takes this moment to let Deanna know that she has been the wind beneath his wings on his uh, journey of self-discovery. I have counted the days since I last saw you. Like waves in the ocean, constant and unending. Is this a rescue mission or a continuation of the torture? <laughs> the Riker side-eye on this scene uh, is palpable. Okay, going back to the Titan. I've tried everything to regain control of even just one system. We need an asynchronous AI matrix capable of computational speeds beyond 90 trillion operations a second. Funny you should mention that. Sydney, allow me to introduce you to Deus Ex MacGuffin III, aka Mr. Data. So they all head down to the lab, and after a quick not a changeling pop quiz. You brought a gift, a Chateau Picard Bordeaux, which you said was too dry because your taste in wine is pedestrian at best. They get down to the business of uh, getting data out without releasing lore. Oh shit, cage match. No, that they it's not really not really. They just have kind of a fairly pleasant conversation where they just uh f with each other's heads. To the death. So uh <laughs> so they send uh Jack up to distract Vatic while Data and Lore settle their family business. Back on the strike, Raffi wait, is that Raffi? Don't worry, it's still me. Okay, cool. Raffi shows them Picard's ex body and uh says that the Chamberlain's already took out the part of his brain that has his uh, aromatic syndrome in it. Apparently, they downloaded an explanation 
from the from the computer from the logs, but they don't have time to tell us what it is because the guards are coming. I guess. Let's be honest. It's because there's there's two more episodes and they just want to drag this shit out. I am I am sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, I'm a little. <laughs> I'm still a little sore that she said. It's time you learn who you truly are. At the end of the episode last week, and then was like, psych. And you know what? It ain't just me, cause Jack shows up on the bridge for the predetermined timeline, and he's holding a device that looks like a little sci-fi magic eight ball. Do you think that will kill me? Maybe, maybe not. It will kill me. I, I got one. Is is uh, Jack tired of this bullshit too? Vatic. Signs point to yes. If at any point you want to stop talking about your circles, I'm all ears. Thank you, Jack. I can help you. Are you not curious to see what's beyond that? Red door. I'm just I'm just gonna skip ahead here because honestly the the data lore things are cool and everything, but it's just, it's just another trip down memory lane. It's a literal trip down memory lane, and uh, Lord dissolves Data's uh, memories one by one. Bit by bit. Until the twist is revealed. What's happening? He took the things that were me, and in doing so, you have become me. We are one now. We are me. So now Data is Super Data, and he is ready to kick ass and chew bubblegum. And while he may value the uh, human experience of it, he does not, in fact, chew bubblegum. Accessing ship systems. We've got comms back. Sh shuttle, it's LaForge. We read you. Ensign, what's going on over there? Vatic took control of the ship, but we're taking it back, and we need you. You're clear to dock. Copy that. Coming to assist. Greetings, USS Titan. This is your friendly positronic pissed off security system. Back online. Sign them, go! Unwanted guests and monologuing protoplasms. I am initiating an immediate ship change. So, uh, Team Riker docks. Hey, boys. And uh, Raffi is in the hallway and she's doing ninja moves with the dual swords. Which, uh, fun fact, dual swords was Leonardo's weapon, not Raffi's. Raphael had the sigh. But anyway, uh, up on the bridge. Jack Crusher. You are up. Turns out the little magic eight ball was like a uh, a force field generator to hold him in place, and also seven because she's still in the room for some reason. And once the field is up, data vents out the bridge, and it's ye old violent decompression. And Vatic and the other champions get sucked off the ship and uh, frozen. All right, now don't get me wrong. This looks cool. This is a cool scene. The Raffi fight looks cool. The vacuum of uh, space encroaching upon the bridge of the Titan looks cool. But if Data has control of the ship, why couldn't he just beam the changelings somewhere? Like, I don't know, like the brig. He's got force fields. They got beaming. Uh, he clearly, she clearly has valuable information. If nobody else, at least maybe Vatic. She's got that. She knows what the f is happening. Whatever. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I usually don't nitpick like this during the recaps. I just, I just, I just say what happened, and I made like, you know, I make what, I make a joke. But uh, my patience is wearing thin with this shit, with the whole who is Jack mystery. T H I N, thin. Anyway, we get another cool shot of Attic uh, freezing in space, and then she shatters against the strike, and uh, the strike gets blowed up. So uh, Raffi and Worf are vaporizing the leftover changelings 
uh, when Deanna catches the Empath Vipers. Deanna, what's wrong? There's a darkness on this ship. All consuming darkness. Well, shit, that's ominous. But let's focus on the positive. We're good here. You just used a contraction. No, I didn't. The band is finally all back together. I swear they were sitting around the table. I thought it was going to break out a deck of cards. All that matters is that we are together once more. Whatever the changelings have in store for Frontier Day is tied directly to Joe. I think it's time I met your son. So cut to the counseling session. And she's guiding him through the uh, starship corridors over his mind. And of course, uh, there's the door. The red door. The talking door. So he and Dana are there like the little girls from The Shining, but in a good way. Time to open the door, Jack. We'll go together. And uh, Jack reaches out and grabs the doorknob. Actually, maybe it's Deanna who reaches out and grabs the doorknob because those nails look, look, look kind of nice. You know what? At this moment, in this, in this context, they are one. Uh, little ditty about uh, Jack and Deanna reaching out and grabbing doorknobs, uh, <laughs> sucking on chili dogs, and blowing up shrikes. I don't know. Anyway, they grab the doorknob and surprise, surprise. Yeah, that's where they, they can leave it. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Star Trek Podcast, your one-stop podcast for reviews, discussions, examinations, and speculations of all things Trek. I am your host, Scott Madison, and I am joined by a murderer's row, I don't really know what that means, of guest panelists. It's almost a full house this week. Uh, going around my screen, we're going to start with uh, the big kahuna of the Infinite Potato Alliance, our founder and fearless leader, Sean Ray. How are you? I'm good. I'm sorry I, I wasn't here last week. I have counted the days since I last saw you. Like <laughs> waves in the ocean, constant and unending. I have thought of your empathic gifts often during my self-evaluation. Is this part of the podcast or a continuation of the torture? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Also joining us in a special engagement, uh, fresh off of completing their review of season one of the Quantum Leap reboot, we have host of the Quantum Leap podcast, Christopher D. Philippus. How are you? I am good in bed and good at pizza. <laughs> I'm we'll fine. take your word for it but thank you for having me yeah. i don't think i've been on uh the picard uh round table at all this season yet so well, it's your first uh, no, time. For, for this yeah this season yeah. the first time yeah. and we are we are delighted to have you i'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say i'm also looking forward to hearing what other people have to say other people including writer of the always popular super anemic star trek recap webcomic nick yeager how are you I went to the movies today and ate popcorn and candy, and now I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us as well from the other side of Michigan, no, no, Tom Madison, my brother. How are you? No, I've slaughtered many enemies over the years and have considered sending their heads to each and every one of you. <laughs> and All the warp quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> finally rounding out this week's panel. Uh, as per usual, we have Rick. How are you, Rick? I want to thank you all for leaving this one for me. F***ing solids! <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if anyone was going to say it, it's going to be you. <laughs> for those who can't tell from the quotes, 
We are discussing this week's Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 8, Surrender, written by Matt Okumura and directed, as last week, by Deborah Kempmeyer. As we do every week, we are going to go around the table and get general thoughts and impressions about this week's episode. I, re- I realized last week that by the time we get around the table, I haven't given my impressions, and I usually don't because we just fall into discussion by the time the last person does it. So I'll start out by saying I enjoyed this episode. It didn't necessarily set me on fire, but uh, I liked it a lot more than I did the previous episode. There were several moments that got uh, emotional reactions out of me, like they were meant to. Um, and overall, it, I thought it was a solid episode. <laughs> was it was it perfect? No, obviously. Had a couple issues, but by and large, I got real positive thoughts about this episode. Now, we'll go around the table. We'll get everyone else's impressions. Uh, gonna go in reverse once again. Rick, what did you think of this week's episode? It was alright. Um, I have been incredibly incredibly busy, uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch it a second time, so Neek, thank you. Your your recap refreshed my memory. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, I You know, it, it still had pacing issues. I think the whole who am I going to shoot on the bridge thing dragged. I, I I have things to say about individual moments. Overall, this episode was, it was alright. It, it kind of felt very disjointed though. Uh, it, it felt like pieces of a bunch of different episodes just kind of shuffled together. There are things about this episode that uh, I've I, I honestly don't know how I feel about it. I'm, it. This is the most non-committal review I think I've ever given on this, on this series. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> uh, it's happened before. We'll see if we can help solidify your, your views on it throughout the discussion. Next up, Tom, what did you think of this episode? I, I, I like the episode. Um, I mean, it, it seems like it's yet another transition episode. Maybe that's just that. Um, continuous cliffhanger that we're dealing with. Um, it, it seemed to really be uh, dealing with the next-gen characters and their relationships. and So you had some of the humor in there, which I appreciated, especially for being, you know, everything being so dark, but uh, that's not a complaint about the lighting this time. So, <laughs> But overall, I mean, I'm, I'm Make me look forward to it. I do wish they would just finally tell us what's up with Jack. But yeah, overall, not too bad. All right, very good. Uh, Neek, what did you agree, think of this episode? I agree with Tom on almost all points, or, or on all points that you pointed out. I, I, it also felt like, a, a, to me, like a transition episode. It feels like the entire season is, was meant to be eight episodes, and they're stretching it into 10. There's a lot of the stuff that happened this week is just add-on or repetition even from the previous episode. Like all the stuff with uh, Data and Lore, like we already did this, why are we doing it again? And indeed, I've lost patience with the reveal on Jack. I don't even care anymore. Um, but I did very much enjoy, yeah, the, the TNG stuff. I really liked the, the conversation between Deanna and Riker and uh, and then their interaction with Worf. I liked all of that. Uh, hearing you and Tom give your impressions of the episode, it's starting to make me wonder if, uh, if I, maybe all of us, might have preferred 
the last two episodes being combined into one. Trim some stuff up, lose some unnecessary things, and then make yeah. make it all one episode. Absolutely. Um, because the, the last two have been stretching a little bit, and then we get what almost seems like a very clear uh, like end act two at the end of this episode before we launch into the final act comprised of the final two episodes. We'll we'll see how that goes. Sean, what did you think of the episode? I enjoyed the episode. I mean, I, I've in, I've enjoyed every episode, but they, um, as Rick said, there's pacing issues. Um, I had some problems with some of the things that the writers chose to do because I thought it was just, I don't want to say lazy writing because I hate it when people say lazy writing, but all of a sudden Picard says that every high ranking official in Starfleet has a code that they can take over any starship that they want. Well, that's a bad idea because there's a lot of bad high ranking officials <laughs> in Starfleet. Um, well, but I think it was just from the, the prefix code. That's well, I mean, that's what they, that's what Picard said. We have a special code. All of us high ranking people, we can take over any ship. Why? That whole thing confused the hell out of me. I couldn't figure out what the hell, what they were talking about with that. And the code, he was sending he was sending Jack's mind up to the bridge to use one of the people that were up there to put this code in so they could take over the ship. Oh. And I think it was just it was just the writers wanting to have a reason for Jack to reach out to the bridge with his with his mind. Mm. So they said, "Oh, Picard has a code he can put into the computer." My headcanon is that the prefix code is a code that a captain has for their own ship. And the code that Picard was talking about is a like extra special master key for like high level admirals and and maybe the brass. I don't well, know. yeah, that's what I'm saying. But there's a lot of high high level admirals that turn out to be bad people, yeah, and they, they should not be able to take over a ship. Yeah, the the <laughs> the, the rampant problem with admirals in Starfleet over the decades. Is, yeah, that that should be cause enough to not have that code exist. But um, there was also were, there was also a scene. I loved the scene where all seven of them are sitting around the um, the table together, the conference room, making plans. But for some reason, Shaw and Seven weren't there. <laughs> but uh, but other than that, it was a great scene, you know. But one of them said, uh, "It's great to have all of us back together again." I was like, "Wesley's not there. Don't say all of us, but Wesley's not." Nor is Tasha. <laughs> yeah. Although at least we, we saw her. We, we, we did. And we're, we're going to talk about that when we get around to that point. Yeah. Um, but, but other than that, I give, I give the episode a B plus. I think, I, I think it was a good episode. Uh, the, my main problem was that they took too long with the whole Picard and Beverly and Jack are like trying to figure out what to do. That took like half the episode, you know, uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think that this episode and the last one could have been one episode. Chris. What did you think of this week's episode? I thought this episode was a very, very good episode. I've enjoyed this season so far, and um, I think there were some um, exemplary moments in this episode, too. Um, really got me in different ways. They spoke to me personally. Um, I don't know about the pacing issues that you guys see. To me, I've always had problems with the pacing in Next Gen, so this, to me, it just feels like Next Gen. There's one very, very bad part of this episode, but it went away at the end of the episode, so now I'm very happy to see the rest of the season without this very, very bad thing, because now it's gone. Because You didn't like happens. that? Oh, God. I, you, know, you know what? Amanda Plummer, 
great actor. She's been in so many great things. I loved her in The Fisher King. I loved her in, in so I've, I've just seen her in a lot of stuff. She's great. This was awful with her Ed Grimley hair and her scenery chewing bullshit. I just could not. Who acts like that? And she's like, I'm doing a symphony of them screaming. And it's like, go f yourself. That was, that was, they could cut all of that shit. It was just so over the top. It took me out of the episode every time she's on screen. The way she says Picard <laughs> is even annoying. You know, it's just like, could, could you just do one f normal thing? I'm sorry, John. That being said, there were, like I said, um, a few moments in this episode I thought were great. I really um, thought the rest of the episode was terrific. And uh, yeah, I I'm looking forward to seeing to seeing where it's going. I, I don't see any of the pacing issues, but um, I haven't been watching it um, over and over again because I haven't been to the show. So I'm usually one and done and it seems good in the moment and I don't have time to linger on it. So maybe on a rewatch, I might see some of that stuff that you guys are seeing. Well, it's like uh, it's like at the end of last week, Vatic said, Jack, it's time for you to find out who you are. And then we come into this episode and we never find it out. We're still at the we have the same cliffhanger. I, I, yeah. I never expected to find out who Jack was. I don't think we're going to find out. We might not even find out next week, although they did tee it up better this time. But they might go to a completely different thing and then come back to Jack and Vienna at the red door you know, in the final three, three seconds and have him open it or something. I mean, who knows? After having the whole freaking uh, season of Quantum Leap strung out over 18 episodes that only needed three, uh, this is nothing. <laughs> trust me. You didn't see where I, I asked you in the chat if that uh, that scene with uh, Deanna and Jack going to the door and everything, if that reminded you. I mean, that seemed like Stephen King wrote that scene. Yeah, you know, I was watching the, I was watching it again today. It was the first time I've watched it again. Um, because I wanted to get fresh, especially on the end. By the end of the, the first time I watched it, I was in a pretty emotional state and uh, I kind of forgot how it ended. So I watched it again today and I, yeah, I can see where you're going with that, Sean. It did seem, you know, creepy. And the fact that there's an old timey keyhole and the yeah, he, loved, coming through he loves doors. Yeah, yeah. And doors yeah. with something behind They're going to open it, it up yeah. and just like a pool of blood is going to come. I think I knocked my <laughs> mic. Pool of blood's going <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. This may be jumping ahead. But what was the part of the episode that got that that got you so emotional? Um, I didn't I didn't tear up once in this episode, and that's okay. Unusual. Uh, I, it might get me emotional now. Um, it was very predictable. I knew exactly where it was going when Data was handing all his memories over to Lore, and he said, "My memories are what define me." I knew that Data was you know conning him and playing the game. But when Spot intertwined himself around Data's feet it made me think of my first dog, Lily. And he said something to the effect of, um, he taught me how to love. In many ways, he defined me. And I was a not, like, I grew up without pets. And the second Laura brought Lily home, I changed. It, like, my heart grew three times that day. And I was forever changed. And I, I can't now imagine living without a pet. And that's, you know, so when Spot showed up, and I just, I lost it. I couldn't, you know? So anyway, that was that was the part that, that really wrecked me. And towards, you know, after that, I, I, I couldn't help but see the episode in a more emotional light. But I got to yeah. tell you, when I rewatched it, um, it didn't get me as much because I knew it was coming. But then I was tearing up at um, Data and Jordy's uh, talk as they were going down the hallway. I love that scene. Know, that scene was that great. Was, yeah. It was so, it was amazing. It was so good. 
And I think that uh, this is maybe Brent's, you know, culmination of everything that he's done with this character. It, it I, I'm just loving where where he is right now. And um, I, you know, I've always found Data to be interesting, but now I'm much more engaged in this version of Data. Data 3.0, I guess this is. <laughs> Well, the, 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 when, when, when Jordy said, how do you feel? And he said, I feel, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man, that's great. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then, uh, you know, Brent Spiner kind of, you know, he, he adds his, his flourish and everything. I'm like, oh, this version of Data would get on my nerves real quick if I, <laughs> <laughs> if I was part of the crew. <laughs> I loved his uh, monologuing protoplasm line. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, but that's that's basically what that character became. Again, you have a talent like Amanda Plummer, and it just wasted, in my opinion, by hands down the worst part of the season. I know what, you might have had bigger discussions about this. I've been listening to every show that you guys have had about it, but um, I'm sorry if I'm repeating some of the stuff that you've already talked about. It's just my first time being able to talk about the season as a whole in addition to this episode. It, it's so interesting, Chris, because you and I aligns so much on certain things but where we don't we're like diametrically opposed <laughs> because i have been loving vatic from the minute she first stepped on screen on screen um, i i can see that because i i think they were going for something very specific and either you buy it or you don't it's yeah. like an all-in it's like an all-or-nothing proposition so yeah i mean i get it yeah i just she, it, she reminds it, me of like an old batman 66 villain which yeah. is yeah, I, don't, I don't I don't need that in probably the most realistic, beautiful looking <laughs> episodes of Star Trek I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need something to take me out of it. And that just takes me right out of it because she's like a Batman 66 villain. Might as well have Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. No, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I would. <laughs> Let's kick some ice. <laughs> uh, but before we loop back around to the top of the episode, um, I will say, and Chris already knows this because we discussed this uh, uh, directly on, on Thursday after watching the episode, that I had a very similar reaction when Spot showed up. I was hoping it was coming. Then we hear the meow and the the shot goes down to Data's feet and we can see Spot rubbing up against him. And I didn't, I didn't fall apart, but I, tears immediately jumped to my eyes and I'm sitting on the couch and I look to the right and there's my cat Xena sitting on the arm of the couch and what a bitch the whole time I'm saying come here come here and she's just not even looking my direction just, just intentionally ignoring me during a cat scene while I need my cat to come over here and she did not do it it was mean and add to that the fact that this is the way one Cat's of the a cat <laughs> One of the five cats, Xena is one of the five cats that I had when my ex-wife and I were still together. And another one of those five cats was Spot, who looks very much like Spot. Anytime I'm over at the house, all the cats will still come up and say hello. Spot always comes up, gives me attention, but still, I miss Spot. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Lily didn't come to my side during that scene either, but um, she's dead. So, moving on. <laughs> Chris, you are one of my favorite people on earth. I just want to tell you. How do you follow that? <laughs> we open the episode with Chris's favorite character, Vatic, conducting the Symphony of Pain 
massacring apparently just boatloads of officers all over the ship. As far as we can tell, everyone on the ship is dead except for the bridge crew. And then we go to Jack and Sydney and Beverly and Picard, all trying to figure out a plan. And once again, Jack being super, super awkward and nuts because he's freezing up and plastered against the wall. And we get Sydney looking at him once again, thinking, what is he doing? And people, when his eyes turn red, are we the only ones that can see that? Can I have to that? assume. I have yes. to assume that's just for us. They, they because made it quite it, clear in the last the last episode that that's just yeah that's just a tell for us that it's not actually happening. Yeah. Other, otherwise, I, I hopefully Sydney would not be looking at him with his eyes glowing red and saying, "What's he doing?" Yeah. What's up? What's he? What's wrong with him? Rather than you know screaming, holy shit, holy shit, phaser! Screaming <laughs> to Beverly and and Jean Luc, um, this son of a bitch has got some glowing eyes. There, a part of me feels like I should say, does anyone have any thoughts on that first scene with with uh, Vatic on the bridge and Picard and Beverly and, and the kids uh, hiding away, but it kind of felt like a nothing scene. There wasn't really a whole lot going on. Well, it was the I, whole damned episode. It wasn't just the opening scene. That well, it, they... it cut, yeah, it cut back to them several times, and I'll have issues with subsequent scenes of them in that room, but that first one didn't really say a lot to me um, because I would prefer to jump ahead to the next scene where we get uh, Riker and Troy. I, I had mentioned that there were two <laughs> exemplary uh, parts of this episode. To me, that's the second exemplary part. I thought that uh, Marina was terrific as uh, Troy. It's nice to see the character back and it's nice to see her back with some actually great dialogue and a great scene to play with Will. Mm -hmm. Now, are, are you referring to the two scenes that they have together in the cell or specifically the first one? I, they're, they're blending together in my head. What I loved is that you, you could see uh, there was an authenticity there. I don't know who wrote this, but these are, to me, realistic conversations that like someone or two people who've been together for decades would have if yeah. I've, I've been in a 30 plus year relationship and you know sometimes shit gets bad sometimes shit gets real and they didn't pull any punches this didn't seem like tv patter this seemed mm -hmm. like a genuine conversation between two people in a long-term relationship who have been through some stuff and which I, it was overall great. which overall they've been doing a, a really good job of this season not shying away from conversations that would be difficult to have they're the, the writers have been taking their time and and constructing these scenes well with dialogue that makes sense and saying the things that people normally would say rather than the let's just get to the end of the scene let's give the bare minimum of what we need to keep the story moving and and forget the rest of it because this is television we're not trying to reflect real life they're doing a better job with realistic conversations here um, check check me on this because I, I I only got to watch it the one time. So I, I just want to make sure I'm not misremembering it. Did she really say, I really wish I hadn't taught you the word inzati or basically. Oh, I should have taught point. you a different word. I should have taught you a different said. word. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That I, I will mark that as my least favorite line from any Riker and Troy scenes of this episode, because I, I don't understand why she would say that. I don't well, understand well, why she, she's joking. And that's one of the things I loved about their scene together is that they kept going back and forth between the really heavy stuff 
and the jokes and, and the needling each other. And that is what is so realistic about their relationship and these two actors together. That's how married people talk. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll say an inside joke one second and then the very next second it's like, okay, but this thing you did is really shitty. And then in yeah. and so that whole I know I shouldn't have taught you anxiety. Because he does overuse it. He's always, he's always like, oh, Imzadi. Like, we've seen him use it in the show before and sort of a like, but I'm the one. Pick me, Imzadi. And she's like, okay. Well, enough. yeah, but you know? I mean, it's not like, you know, like me, I, I call my wife babe or baby, you know, all the time. I mean, that's, I don't see that as being any different. It's just, it's just the yeah, word. Yeah, no, and I, I don't think Deanna actually minds it either. I, I took that as her, she's just joking. She's just the same way she, she joked about the changeling being good in bed. She was just poking <laughs> oh, at yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what you yeah. do. I'm just glad that they remembered that um, Betazoids can't read changelings because um, that was something from Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. uh, where Loaxana couldn't read Odo. And uh, that's something that I would have expected these writers to forget about, you know, because they have forgotten some other stuff. But I'm glad they remembered that. That that helps uh, support one of the theories I have. We can get into it towards the end of the show if you want. But um, it's it's playing into some of the thoughts that I've been having as the season progresses. Okay. Hey, this uh, scene with, uh, or the scenes, plural, with uh, Riker and Troy, I thought that the acting was great. I um i think nick commented was it on the authenticity of of their performance someone said that um and and like especially with the you know good and bad bad at pizza and um breaks his response to it it just so i get the acting was great the the heavy stuff did anyone else seem to think that it was a little off character for them based on the previous uh, appearance that we had of the two of them in season one. Well, I didn't think it was, I don't think it's off character for them, but I do think that it doesn't really mesh with that, with with that appearance that we saw in season one, because in season one, they made it seem like, you know, they're happy, you know, but as any person that's been married for a lot of years will tell you that sometimes there's problems in a marriage that are kind of buried down. Also, have not really been able to determine how long it's been from season two to season three. It seems like it's been several years. It had, so that yeah, he, Picard said in the last episode, you know, years ago, and, and I, yes, I did a terrible Picard last episode. <laughs> years it's not going to get any better. Data asked me to kill him. Yeah, years ago, Mr. Data asked, told, asked me to let him go. Yeah, so I, I, it yeah. seems like it's been more than just a couple of years since Nepenthe. It seems like it's been like five or six years. A lot of problems in a relationship can surface during that time. Yeah, well, yeah. And and how many times have you, you know, it, we're all, I think we're all in committed relationships. There are things that you probably should talk about, but you don't. Yeah. And you figure you'll there's always time tomorrow, or it's not that important, or I'm being petty, or whatever. Um, you know, I I really liked the, you know, when Will was finally like, you you took my pain away. You know, that is one of the most primal Star Trek plot lines, going all the way back to to the Enemy Within in season one, where Kirk's like, I need my animal side. I you know, and and I'll even quote the. Star Trek Five. I need my pain. That is something 
I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. Whatever. <laughs> I don't want to dwell on that. But, you know, the 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 fact that Riker is finally telling De- Deanna that he resents the fact that she took his pain away when she clearly thought she was doing him a favor, that was an important moment. That was a really powerful moment in this episode. Mm-hmm. Riker saying it was the last connection that I had to him and you tried to take it away. That that was crushing. And what I got from that scene, we are jumping ahead a little bit. We're jumping to their second scene together. But sorry, we'll, that's we'll, that's my fault. That's no, all. It's me. fine. It's totally fine. We'll 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 pick up anything that we missed. Which I'm looking at my notes. It's not much. I found that line to be to be rather devastating for Riker to say that because, and I think a lot of it is having as fans watched this relationship grow and and evolve and change since 1987. And to hear about this happening, it's it's sad. It's it's very tragic to not not only for what befell their family, but for this to happen in the aftermath. I think with the way that they constructed the scene and the way that they revealed to us, the audience, what it was that happened that caused Riker to so quickly uh, fly off to help Picard. I suspect that when we saw them in season one in on Nepenthe, I think it's possible that Riker didn't know that Deanna had been doing that, yeah. which is why maybe it seemed like everything was sunshine and roses for them in season one, because it was between that episode and now that Riker realized what Deanna had been doing, how she had been kind of stealing his chance to heal and pre- preventing him from from working through the pain uh, in, in a natural way. I appreciated the fact that in in this episode, when he when he says that to her, when he says, it was my last connection to him and, and you tried to take it from me, and she immediately pushes back a little bit, says not take it from you, but share it with you. Because unlike you, I was feeling everyone's grief. She has you know, understandable reasons for what she did, and she tries to push back and give some of that justification, but immediately after that she uh, acknowledges the fact that she shouldn't have done it mm-hmm. yeah but- and it just occurred to me I mean okay I, I hadn't thought of the um, that he didn't realize this had happened that she was doing this when we first saw them in season one but and then also it could be that in season one you know it's oh we've got company over so we're going to Put on the big smiling faces. Yeah, yeah. Put put on the happy front yeah. while while the old boss is around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that could also be genuine. I mean, they might have been one keeping up appearances, but two a distraction, an old friend, a welcome a welcome change to the dynamic yeah. that you know that this slow suffering that they're going through, and, and an old friend in need, which is going to add another. Yeah, and so dynamic. it gives them something else to focus on. So either interpretation, I think, is great, Scott. I like yours too. Um, but also, what I loved is that they both hurt each other while trying to help each other and it's also something like you're in a long relationship you you sometimes start to assume what you think the other person needs because you think you know them so well mm-hmm. and oh guess what you, you can't do that and i just found that to be another really sort of realistic wrinkle that you don't often get like that kind of nuance especially in like relationship dialogue on tv so i almost well, wish that there had been some kind of a wish it probably would have crowded the storyline a little bit but the fact that 
their son could have been saved with synth technology, but it was banned. And now the fact that Picard is alive because of synth technology, I almost wish that there had been a discuss at least a discussion, a scene where either Riker or Troy, which I mean Troy hasn't talked to Picard yet, so maybe maybe it'll happen next week. That there is a discussion that, you know, you're alive because of this, but my son is dead because we couldn't have it. You know, that there's some kind of a a little bit of resentment there, you know. But mm-hmm. something else. I think the writers did this on purpose because of the, cause they, you know, because of the way the dialogue went. And this in no way reflects my current state. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear in case <laughs> my wife is listening. But I have lived through this as a child. A lot of times, parents who are experiencing hard times will sublimate that to so as not to expose the children, to keep a, a you know, everything's fine so that the, the, the children, or in this case, the child, doesn't suffer from, you know, from, from the grief that, that both, the both parents are experiencing. They made it very clear that Kestra is at Starfleet Academy, is out of harm's way, and is also not there now. And so, granted, you know, in the, the Bestagon room that they're in, is probably not the best place to have this heart to heart. It may very well be the first time that they have both felt free to explore or to say the things they've been wanting to say, but they didn't want to burden their child with their grief. And and let me just one one other thing: grief is an incredible depth emotion. The whole time heals all wounds is bullshit. And I liked how this episode didn't shy away from that reality. That grief does, you you never, a, a parent should never, ever have to bury a child. And if that, ha- and when that happens, that grief does not go away. No matter how much you want to pretend it does, no matter how how much you drink or smoke or eat rabbit pizzas, the death of a child is something that has destroyed people. And the fact that Will and, and Deanna, in the most horrible of circumstances, can finally face this together is one of the reasons why I didn't dislike this episode. Because for all of the goofy writing this series has had, those moments with the two of them in that cell were golden and were some of the most real moments in the entirety of Star Trek. And I don't think it would have worked so well if it wasn't for the fact that Frakes and Sirtis have been the best of friends for years. And they know each other so well, they might as well be Will and and Deanna. And this scene, these scenes were beautiful. I don't think it's um, so odd for them to have had that discussion in that setting because they are you know, they, they could die at any moment. Yeah. They're hostages in, in a hostile situation. If we're not going to talk about this now, we might never get a chance to talk about it. So, I kind of want there to be more wonderful scenes like that in these final two episodes, but at the same time, I kind of don't because those scenes could get so raw that it would become difficult to watch them. It might be easier... If they follow, if if we have more scenes like that this season, if they follow them the way they did this time with Worf showing up, 
because he, he, he made it all better. Now, but before we get into into Worf's uh, uh, entry into that scene, going to back up just for a brief moment because we have effectively skipped over one bridge and one uh, family planning scene uh, with Vatic and what I thought was a, a a delightful small little unnecessary line of this is cozy. I'm going to take this back with me, referring to the captain's chair. I loved her delivery of I that line. It. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. Um, as they're continuing to try to make a plan, uh, Jack re- reaches out with his with, with the force and uh, has Mura, I think, try to reach over and input the override code. Vatic catches him. Yeah. And this is where we get the the scene of Vatic terrorizing as many members of the bridge crew as possible before executing one of them. If it had been a lot shorter, I think I would have been really scared for the the, the woman, the bald head woman with the green head. Esmar. Yeah. It became very clear that she was not the one that was going to get killed because it went on so long that even as much as as this as these you know new Star Trek series will plumb grittier depths than previous Treks have ever done, that would have been so monstrous that I think they would have lost their, their, you know, the fact that she turned and shot the Vulcan, who was the only one on the bridge who probably wasn't terrified, um, I, I felt was a cop-out. But at that point, they had no choice. Because at that point, it was either Vatic wasn't going to kill anybody or Vatic had to kill someone who wasn't absolutely terrified. Because if she had killed Esmar, uh, I think it would have it would have absolutely lost 90% of the audience. And I think the reason for that was they dragged it out so long. And by that point it just it just felt like all right, it's very clear you're not going to kill the one that you are clearly terrorizing. Mm-hmm. And that's classic film and television uh tropes and and styling for you. If if you have a villain who's who is they have made it clear someone is going to die. The one that they're focusing on is never the one that they actually end up killing. Yeah, oh, I'm, not, I'm not one that wants to wish death on any on any uh, character because I don't have anything against any of these bridge officers. But I'm glad they killed one of them because if they had done all that and then she just didn't kill anybody, I think I, that's what I think would have been a cop out. You're, there you're has to wrong. be some stakes. There has to be some stakes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I just think a lot of people had died off long. screen. I mean, there was a lot of officers all over the ship that had already been killed, but we didn't see a lot of that, you know. Except for the one that Jack possessed, I kind of question if he got that guy killed. Oh, he did, one hundred percent. And that's my biggest problem with all of these scenes: um, the fact that they're willing to sacrifice Starfleet personnel to protect Jack. Why? Because he's the lead character's son. Like, I just don't understand their reluctance to at least have Jack go to the bridge and maybe find another solution. People have to die for Jack, who nobody knows, who's not part of the fleet, who's not part of this crew. And they're all willing to sacrifice themselves for this total stranger who's, by all accounts, a smuggler and a ne'er-do-well. I- and who is clearly not in in danger of being killed because... They obviously want him alive, right. so it's not like he—it's not like if he goes to the bridge, he, he's going to get killed immediately, and then yeah. the bad guys go away. Well, they if he goes to the bridge, wave it away, like Picard saying, you know, if we give—if we give you up, then they'll just kill us all anyway. 
So there's no sense. He'll just take you, kill us, and leave. He'll kill us. I have, to, I have to say, once again, I was I was uh, Team Shaw. I think Shaw was right. I think that, uh, once again, he, you know, he's still calling Seven Hanson when she doesn't want to be called Hanson. But other than that... Even after she makes it very clear that her name is Seven of Nine, he continues yeah. to call her Hanson. That bothered me. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, that, I that's loved, bad. He's a jerk. He's a jerk, but he was I, right. I love about that she the, pushed back. I love yeah. that she pushed back. I don't love that it didn't work. I still fact, guarantee he's gonna he's gonna call her seven by the end of the season. Sorry. Go oh ahead. yeah, yeah. But the fact that uh, she should have blown the turbo lift while he was in it. Yeah, he's right. She should have done that. It would have saved a lot of people. Indeed. Yeah, she's saying I don't trade a life for a life, but uh, traded a lot of lives. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot of people are dying. Yeah. Um. So I. That was about uh, all that happened between the Riker scenes was that bit on the bridge, Tavini getting shot, Jack and Beverly and Picard. They're still down in that room saying, oh, we have to figure out uh, what we're going to do. Back we, to We did skip ahead. over one more thing, though, between uh, Riker and Troy, which is they're, they're shitting on Nepenthe. I mean, right, am, I yeah, the, yeah. am I the only one who read that as the season three creators shitting on the season one creators? I felt that was a little, like, as much as I didn't like season one, I still felt that was disrespectful because it's like, you know, you don't do that. You, you don't shit on another artist's work, even if you don't like it. Like, I mean, you do if you're us, you're just like a, a nobody <laughs> fan who, yeah. who doesn't have a stake in the game, but like for, for yeah. one creator, to do that to another when they're they're in the same family that felt weird to me yeah it, it would be like the this podcast shitting on like the original incarnation of that star trek podcast back when that when what sean i think was his name back when he was hosting it I, if we were shitting on that version of of the podcast then yeah it would be discovery after show uh, it was called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Meek, I, I didn't was think trying, of that, but now I, was uh, I, to that. I won't be able to uh, to think about anything else. Uh, I just thought it was them saying, "Hey, it's time for us to move on in our lives, and we're we're clinging to something that is gone. So it's time for us to to redefine who we are." I, I, and now I'm just going to think, "Oh, it's just a cheap shot." But well, it yeah, it was. It, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's clear that they didn't really want to live there. They ju they just they were there because of the healing properties that the planet had, or something like that they said that in that original episode but i think but now as you said that yeah i think you're right <laughs> I, I i was able to uh watch the scene and i think take it as, as you know take it for for what it was them realizing that it's not really where they want to spend the rest of their life that's that's not the the setting that they want to be in i i can see how a lot of people and you you are not the first person that i've heard uh, Neek make this uh, observation of that scene. I didn't read it that way. I can see how it certainly could be read that way. It's not how I took it. Now, am I am I wrong? Are you right? No idea. I I, I could not tell you. Um, I want to believe that they were not sniping uh, season one, but it's possible that they were. I just hope they weren't. I think they were setting up a spinoff of Riker and Troy moving to the big city. Uh, Move, it's going to be like a wacky comedy. Yeah, they're going to have a wacky neighbor. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Im Imzadi in the city. 
No, they're well, no, so San like, Francisco is a place you ought to be. They're, they're, they're setting up Star Trek Legacy, where Picard, I'm, I'm sorry, where Riker and Troy will move back to San Francisco. Riker will be working at Starfleet Command, and he'll be the admiral that the crew of the Titan will go communicate with on their missions when they do an eventual spinoff. That's uh, maybe that's not what they're doing. I don't know. Um, or, uh, a Rick, digital Rick. Don Knotts is in their future. <laughs> I think it's a face value. It's it's. You know, I, my, my wife and I have been married for 20 years. This was our, We had our 20th anniversary this, this uh, summer. And there's still stuff we don't know about each other that, that, you know, you like that? No, I thought you did. Well, you know, th- that's, that's life. You never know everything. And as a couple, you, uh, especially if you're both empaths, which, you know, Star Trek reality notwithstanding... You know, if you are trying to be, you know, the kind of person that puts your your SO's uh, wants and needs above your own, which they both are, I totally dig that this is a situation. That, I thought you loved it here. No, I thought you loved it here. I hate it here. Me too. Well, let's leave. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that I love that... Um they kind of hinted at the fact that Worf may still have feelings for Deanna without him actually saying, I love hinted? you, Deanna. I no, I mean, he didn't, he didn't actually say, I love you, Deanna. Yes, you know? he did. <laughs> he did not say, he, I no, love he you. Didn't. He, he didn't. Say, no, he didn't say it in so many words. He didn't say anything inappropriate, again, on surface. It was all he, subtext. And it yeah, was everything, everything that he said, yeah, was, everything that he all... said could be construed as just being, I care for you deeply. Um, it's it not could, anything it that he's going to say to Riker, you know, but <laughs> it could be construed by Riker as I'm still holding a candle for you. We, we used to be together and I have always wanted us to get back together again. Well, maybe not always, but you know, as soon as I put Jedzia in the dirt, then I wanted to be back with you again. Maybe what he was saying could be construed by Riker and some other people as that at the same time with how hard they have been uh, working to show us that Worf has, as he has said on more than one occasion, he has been working on himself. So a, a, a friend, an, an ex-partner, both at that time and, uh, and since then with, with the memory of them being an integral part of his reinvention of himself. These are the things that, a, that a person in his position might say to a cherished friend who helped him in several ways, even when she wasn't around, to evolve and become a better person. Th- these are the things that you would say. I do not think he was being inappropriate. I think that all the things he said, while yes, it could be misread, I, I don't think he has any inappropriate lingering feelings. I think that he he loves her as a friend and appreciates everything that she has done for him, even when she wasn't around. Are and Rick, don't look. Kidding me? Don't give me that look. <laughs> I No, I agree here. I don't think I, I, I agree it's with It's an innocent Scott's love. Saying. It's an innocent love. He He's showing appreciation for, you know, like he, he's finally making those connections as he's been working on himself and he's been, you know, finding pacifism and, you know, uh, oh, this is what Deanna was talking about, you know, 30 years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, you know, he's holding her up as his example in his head. So he's saying that, but I also think... He's messing with Riker's head by doing that right in front of him because 
the way you know remember you used to poke back you used to poke back yeah he's poking back big time <laughs> okay now that that, that, that is that an I aspect i didn't think of that i will buy we just we never got any kind of resolution to that storyline of uh wharf indiana it just it got out of, after have all been good a storyline in the first place Thank after all good things it just it just they never spoke of it in the movies again and when Loak Santa came to Deep Space Nine, it was never mentioned. It's just, it just like it never happened. Dude, and I'm they, glad to see them address well, it here. Whether or not <laughs> we ship Deanna with Worf or Riker or whoever, we can all agree it was a great scene. Yeah. Nick yes. is done with it. our with our mess. Yeah, she, is done with our shit. she is done with our <laughs> bullshit. How much I, is John Payne her? <laughs> I, I just, I just never mind. Go ahead. Nick, who got to you? I appreciate, I appreciate Tom having my back, and I will say, yeah, I did not consider the fact that maybe Worf was laying it on heavy on purpose to try to get under Riker's skin. I like that. I'm, I'm going with that moving forward. Um, after that, we get back to the the family trying to make their plan. We also have Jordy and Alondra uh, trying to deal with Data. They unplugged him at the beginning of the episode. About time. Should have done it sooner. <laughs> of course, I, I love how how Jordy unplugged him and then the lights went out and Alondra says, I thought you unplugged him. And I'm like, yeah, you literally just watched him unplug him. Why, are you, why would you even say that? Well, I mean, Jordy unplugs him and says he can't he, he can't control what he does, what he can't access, and like they don't have wireless in the twenty fifth century. Uh, Everything uh, has to be connected with a wire. <laughs> apparently, Soong did not install the the Bluetooth capability in in the Positronics. Um, so Picard and his group they leave and they hook up with uh, with Jordy and Alondra, and once again shitting on Chateau Picard, but I love the line. You you brought something to my anniversary on Rigel. What was it? He says it was Chateau Picard Bordeaux, which you thought was too dry because your taste in wine is pedestrian at best. And they cut almost in time to miss Gates start to laugh. And I, I have to believe that that was real. I don't think that that was her being in character. I think that Gates broke after Patrick said that line and they had to cut away immediately. And I loved it. Immediately, they convince Jordy we have to plug in data so he can uh, take down Vadic's override of the ship. Well, and first it, they say, we need something that can do 60 gazillion calculations a second. Yeah. Like, Earth the, could do that. Yeah, the, the very con the very convenient <laughs> Sydney saying, we, we would need something that does exactly what data can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just using different words to say it. My big issue with this scene as they're as they're putting together this plan is once they have sold Jordy on on the idea of removing the partition and trying to get data to come up front so he can do the calculations, uh, the convincing being Sydney turned to him and said, Dad, we don't have another choice. He says it's going to take some time. Immediately, Jack says, I can get you time. And he leaves the room. None of them have made any sort of a plan whatsoever. But everything that, that happens, everything that happened, no, he left the room. I imagine that Beverly and Picard and Jack made the whole plan of the bomb and everything on their way down. 
it was a yeah. long turbo lift ride. Yeah, I, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, they're they're Where trapped they in that plan, room under which... under guard, under whatever, <clears throat> under threat of being killed until they need to get to Jordy and Data. I, it's just plot, you know. We need yeah. to move the show along somehow. Yeah, they they well well they they should have Neek for that. <laughs> My biggest problem with the scene was when 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 we're seeing on the computer screen we're seeing Data and Lore uh, fighting. Red lights mean bad and blue lights mean good. It's, Always have you have yeah. you never seen GI Joe? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Give him shit. Give him shit. <laughs> you know that. You know. I would. I would, I would if he wasn't it. making fun of you. <laughs> Evil leapers are red. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh Chris, you know me. <laughs> and also, no, I know uh, quantum so, leap. Quantum we're kind of getting into you, the kind of getting into the scene where Lore and 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 Data are um are talking and having their their little battle there, which yeah, but, I liked. I liked the whole you know Data's bringing out all the memories and everything. Um, the the audio from Elementary, my dear Data, kind of playing over the scene was 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 pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I did. I didn't really care for Lore just kind of doing a infinity war disappear you know like that like oh i i, I don't feel so good mr stark and just kind of <laughs> kind of fade away but uh i that end of the scene it struck me also as only it just a touch anticlimactic mainly because their last words to each other were exactly the same last words that they had to each other the last time that they saw each other which yeah, was well, Descent Part 2. Yeah. But this well, isn't the same. This isn't... I mean, you ain't getting to get technical. This isn't really them. This is a copy of... This is another copy of them. Just like when mm -hmm. Data says later on, he says, that version of me is resting comfortably. This version of me is happy to be here. Mm -hmm. You know? And I, b because you touched on that, I'll mention it now to make sure I don't forget later. The, the fact that they had dialogue with Picard saying to Data... I can't remember the exact line, but essentially he said that the, the previous version of you wanted to die, mm -hmm. and I hope that we have not betrayed those wishes by bringing you back. That it, it, It's a take that you wouldn't always get in a show like this. Something that they would just gloss over, and no one would have thought to ask that. But the fact that the writers had Picard think to, to say that and acknowledge that you said you wanted to die, and now you're here, and that's because of us. Is that okay? And this yeah. new data is saying, yeah, for him, he's where he wanted to be. I'm someone different, similar, yet still different, and I'm glad to be here. The fact they, they put in that little exchange, I I really appreciated the fact that they, they thought of that. Yeah, Another but I wanted, them I wanted to... Uh, writers don't always think of. I wanted to, um, actually, that scene, because they didn't do it. Soon did it. Soon is the one that created that gollum. You know, they didn't put him in there. They just took him out of the Daystrom. Uh, well, he, he, he put the Golem Daystrom together. Station. He put the Golem together, but he never activated it. It was Yeah, but he, he's the one that downloaded that right? version of Data and that version of Soong. And for some reason, they said a version of, I mean, uh, and Lore. And for some reason, they said a version of B4 and Law, but never addressed that again. Other than saying, oh, they're just memory data, even though B4 was one of the personalities that came out the first time we saw but that's neither here nor there but that's that's a good point sean but i also think that we forget because this is such a this is such a next gen season eight 
that we're forgetting also most of the time that it's season three of Picard and that sort of threading that needle going back to touchstones of the actual series Picard that there might be some fans out there who have only seen Picard and not Next Gen. Mm. So they're keeping the integrity of the continuity of that show alive as well. And it, it really reminds me of like the way they do the opening credits now. It's all Star Trek bombast, 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 and then you get that teeny little Picard-themed sting at the end when they do mm-hmm. the title. Yeah. So this this series is almost like that. It, it's basically next gen, but a bit of Picard thrown in. Mm-hmm. Did anybody I, notice that the, uh, that the the little hologram of uh, Tasha is not the same hologram from the Next Generation? Yep, this one right. has her has her hands on her her fists on her on her hips. hips rather than her hands crossed in front of her. Yep. You are such nerds. You know, it's funny, but I, I literally just uh, finished Skin of Evil before we got on mic tonight. And I think it might be the first time I've seen that episode all the way through. And then uh, when I saw the very last scene of that, I said, oh, that's where Picard got it. So. Mm-hmm. I would have found the, the, the whole data lore, uh, the, the whole data thing in this season, a lot more moving if, as they have even said, we hadn't already watched Data Die twice. Um, if we hadn't had the end of Data in season one of Picard, um, which was beautiful, it was it was marvelous. It was so much better than, than the way they killed Data in Nemesis, because that was just Spiner going, I'm done with this, just kill my character so I don't have to deal with this anymore. <laughs> Boy, did that not work. Um, you know the the data saying you know I want to die and and the the the, the music and and Issa Briona singing and it, it and it was beautiful. And how many times have we talked about cheapening a very meaningful and powerful death of a character by bringing them back? And and I've seen I've seen interviews with the writers who are like you know this is supposed to be getting, you know, getting the band back together. And how can we do it without data and trying to figure out a way to do it? I just wish that they had, had had the foresight to see this, this season coming and not have killed data off in the first season so that we could really appreciate what they're doing with data this season. Cause it really feels like a retread. It, it does take a lot of the wind out of the sails emotionally. The fact that they've, we, we did, we just did this two seasons ago. You're, that's that's a very fine point. I think you guys are missing the point. It's not I, about well, data being dead. It's about data being reborn. Yeah, and, and yeah. So at, that, at the that, same that, time, I, I acknowledge and, and recognize that as well. I think, despite the fact that we already saw data die at the end of season one, I think they've been doing a a really good job with with how they're handling his character this season. It, it's a credit to them that it's it's not just completely flat. Well, I like that it's not, I mean, it's data, but it's not data, you know, it's, yeah. it's Wayne's basement, but it's not Wayne's basement. You know? it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a copy of data, but it's also got plenty of lore in there because that's where the emotions are coming from. Because data was all data. Lore was all emotion. Mix those together and you get a Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, but don't And it's you, delicious. But, and also you, <laughs> but think about the themes that you were talking about before, um, Rick. I, I need my pain. You even invoked the enemy within. 
and Kirk hugging his doppelganger on the transporter pad and becoming one again. I mean, we're we're seeing an evolution of Data here. His character is finally everything that he have, has striven to be throughout all of Next Gen, throughout all of the movies. He's always wanted to be human. Well, now he's as close as, as human as he's going to be. He's, he, there's essentially no difference. He's just like Picard now. Yeah. Uh, even the skin tone is different. I mean, they, they, less of that pancake makeup, more, more of a human version of that positronic brain. So I think it's great. I think that that one version of Data is dead. I didn't find the death at the end of season one very emotional. Um, I thought it was okay, but I, I think that this is so much better for the character and for the fans. And, and this is coming from, you know, someone that's not very, very steeped in next gen. But, wow, I'm so happy with, with, with the development of, this, of this, this episode. I thought it was terrific. And we mentioned, it kind of rewinds a little bit, but apparently the only screening that you have to have to make sure that someone is a changeling mm -hmm. is to ask them if they're a changeling. And they say, no, it's, it's me. This is exactly, okay. I was I was just going <laughs> to loop us back around to this because I had two big issues with this scene. One, because cops have to say they're cops. From, <laughs> from now until the end of the season, I am going to be, half of me is going to be assuming that Rafi is a jelly baby. Yeah, yeah. Because he just walks in and says, "Rafaela, don't worry, it's me." Oh well, then. That's as long as you said it's you, well then, no worries. I'm a little I, disappointed that we didn't see Riker and Deanna exchange their safe word, because you know they had one. <laughs> uh, no, there's too many bad jokes to. <laughs> to get onto with that some time had passed since we last saw them they obviously had been talking for a while so jumping ahead we get <clears throat> jack arriving on the bridge with a thermal detonator i'm sorry i mean unknown device and he's having his little face off with vatic and jack says what i have been wishing that someone would say to a variety of characters not just in this <clears throat> season but in many shows in many seasons where Jack says if you're ready to stop talking in batshit circles I'm all ears <laughs> thank you for trying to get someone to stop speaking in vague riddles and oblique uh, uh, intimations and just directly say what the hell is going on now it doesn't work but he yeah. said it and I was glad that he said it I mean that's what villains do that villains they're, they're supposed to monologue. <laughs> yeah. And this sounds like uh, a good time for Sean, if you wanted to uh, drop in and share the audio from that TikTok theory that you put up. Because we can, we, can yeah, me... we can take two minutes to talk about this theory, which yeah, let me still, I don't think it's happening. Okay. All right, this so is th a TikToker. His name is uh, Jason... Roy uh, Gaston, he's a guy that I follow on TikTok, but he uh, he did a uh, video where he was giving his his possible explanation of what he thinks is going to happen in the next couple episodes. So, Jack is a paw wraith, or rather has a paw wraith inside of him. That explains how he's able to control other people. This paw wraith is essentially trapped inside of him and can't get out because Jack has nanoprobes in his body left over from his father. The Paw Wraith can't take control of Jack because the Borg nanoprobes won't let him because if anybody's going to control anybody, it's going to be the Borg. That's why the Changelings took Picard's body. Also, how does the big evil head communicate with Vatic? 
She cuts off part of her body and the big evil head controls it. The paw wraith inside of Jack's body is the big evil head. Jack is unknowingly the big evil head. But why would the paw wraiths and the changelings join forces? If the paw wraith gets control of Jack, it can go into the wormhole and destroy the prophets. And if the prophets are destroyed, the changelings get an entire dominion fleet that's just been waiting in the wormhole for years and years and years. Frontier days of distraction. But once they blow up that fleet, it'll be easy pickings. So, I mean, possible. But as John said when I brought it up in the in the chat, um, it would require a lot of explanation for the last two episodes of uh, because I don't think anybody's mentioned pot rates or anything in this season so far so nope the pa rays have not been mentioned uh the prophets have not been mentioned um I, changelings have been mentioned but and the dominion war but i don't think even the wormhole has been mentioned i don't think they've said wormhole i don't think they i don't think anybody's even said that the changelings come from the gamma quadrant right you know so, so it, it would be like know. a solid half episode of exposition to bring people back up to speed so Which i is... i think it's unlikely but it's not a, unheard of for i mean can you the finale of picard was of season one was kind of like that you know it was a lot of stuff that felt like it was just kind of put together so can i can i venture um it's it's and this is coming off of a season of quantum leap uh, the reboot that that danced around a lot of the classic series uh, touchstones. But in the very end, when we were expecting some stuff to maybe come to fruition that would tie it back to the to the legacy series um, more solidly, it did its own thing. And this is way too deep a cut for even, I think, Star Trek fans. Like this, it, it, it's way too involved. And if you just have someone that's like a casual Picard viewer, that has not seen all of 90s Trek, then I, I can't imagine that this is where they're going to go with this series. It's too fan. It's too fanboy. It's just yeah. too fanish. Mm -hmm. I'll it's say that I, I think that I think that the fact that is it possible that there's a power wraith behind that door? Yeah, that's possible. They could explain that. But getting into the whole Borg nano probes and all that kind of stuff, I don't think any of that's going to happen. But uh, Chris nailed it when he said it's it's too deep a cut, and I agree. Now, for for how much I love callbacks and and reviving uh, plot points from previous series, I would be all for it if they had started like planting some of the seeds and laying some groundwork, like say episode one, maybe like at the latest episode three of this season. Mm -hmm. then then I could be on board with it. But if this was the direction they wanted to go, this this is far too late to do it. So I don't think that that, that theory is going to be what happens, but I thought it was very clever. Yeah, yeah. Don't, to, don't to, get me wrong. Yeah, to, to come up with that. It would make it, an excellent novel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. I, I, I'll just say I, I agree with all of y'all. I, I think it, you know, it would it would require a serious info dump to bring you know non-star trek fans up to speed on this and i i don't see this series doing that mm -hmm. also i the the whole prophets versus the pare things was my least favorite thing in ds9 and and i well if you didn't like it then it's well, that, not good yeah, absolutely that... <laughs> it sucks because i didn't like it i was about um, to say that doesn't mean anything i but the, it does 
It does because it's, not, my, it's my opinion, and that's what this show is about. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not saying your opinion. I'm not saying your opinion doesn't matter. I'm just saying that that doesn't mean that they're not going to do it. I'm not saying like that, that I, and that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if they went that way, I would not be happy. Mm-hmm. That's what I was getting to. Is like I that the whole, you know, I I've I I didn't particularly care for the changeling thing in DS9, even though I, I I loved Odo, I loved Renee's performance because it was way too close to magic for Star Trek. Um, and Have you I not seen Star Trek? I, I know. I, <laughs> the whole thing is magic. I, I, I feel like I want to jump in here real quick and just make sure that everyone knows that we all love each other on this show. And you know what? It's not magic. It's indistinguishable from magic. That's a vital difference. I will say um, that uh, I did, Rick, I did think about you when I was watching this episode when uh, when Vatic froze in space because I know how much you hate that. <laughs> No, the, the the freezing doesn't bother me. That's that's fine. It's it was them all being blown out by the anyway. We haven't well, got to that. But yet. you know, now think about it. You can tell this is a different version of Changeling, though, because one of the one hundred that we saw in DS Nine was traveling as a spacefaring creature that could yeah. live in vacuum. That's and, why uh, yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. think Vatic is dead. Yeah, I, I think it was just last week that I mentioned loss, which we, is that you did talk that about changing. That. Yeah, yeah, you did. Well, let me say is they did a they they did a a, a Terminator kind of a, a Terminator thing a T one thousand where she uh, uh, she froze and then she got smashed into a bunch of pieces, but then the ship exploded. So I'm not sure if she could survive the ship exploding. Uh, you but, know, I I think that. Either way they go, it works. We could either see Vatic come back, or uh, we could not. Well, we could, be, could thaw out, and we could have a bunch of little Vatics because she thawed out in a bunch of pieces. <laughs> I'd, I'd be a little, little bit of Army of Darkness there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd be disappointed if that was the last I saw of Vatic because it was kind of an anticlimactic end. But blown yeah, out would... of the front of a bridge and shattering. Why is <laughs> that anticlimactic? And yeah. right after I... the Air Force One line, like, get off my plane, I'm not bridge. <laughs> Why is there an escape hatch behind the view screen on uh, on the bridge of a starship? That it, that's I, new, I right? Like that's never. That. I mean, We've that's never, never seen been that done. before. Yeah. But I like that. I mean, why why shouldn't there be an escape hatch on the bridge? They should be all over the place. Because yeah, somebody I... could hit the wrong button and blow the entire bridge around well, the space. We... Well, the only way to hit the wrong button is if you're uh, a slimeoid and you sit on it. Otherwise, it's fine. It right. has it. Okay, has it been canonically established that bridge modules are interchangeable i know that it's you know the 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 hardware wonk it's in all the tech manuals and stuff but has it been canonically established not that i recall i don't remember hearing that yeah where where are you going with this though because if bridge modules are replaceable that's why that's one of the reasons that's one of the uh the 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 justifications for why the bridge is different in every movie and every series and stuff like that is that the bridge is a module that can be replaced so if there, you know, if if that is the case, then having a a <clears throat> blowable hatch behind the view screen is, you know, that that fits because that may just be a, a maintenance hatch. I didn't I, like it. 
I, I was just, I was surprised to see that it was behind the view screen because if there's going to be an escape hatch on the bridge, I would have expected it to be the skylight. But it looked like it, it was, it looked like it was almost like a force field. It looked like it opened and then closed right back up. It didn't look like, like, like hangar bay doors or anything. It looked electronic, like holographic. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and they established, I don't know, I don't know about the Prime universe, but in the Kelvin universe, the view screen is just a piece of transparent aluminum. I mean, it's an actual window that they're looking out of. Yeah, it, it's and a, then when a, they say they bring something up screen. on screen, yeah, they bring bring something up on screen, then it's all holograms. They put holograms on the screen to be able to see other things. So I don't know if that's uh, if that's the way it is in the Prime universe now or not. Um, it seems like Discovery was like windows. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the, yeah. the whole thing. The whole thing was so quick that it was <clears throat> hard for me to figure out the, the details of it just by looking. And that's also lends to why I also feel that uh, Vadic's uh, defeat and apparent death was a little bit anticlimactic because it did happen very, very fast. Just zip, zip, and it's done. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, gone. Uh, I Would you like a monologue? <laughs> <laughs> some type of a you've had enough of those yeah, yeah. yeah. you know what Scott <laughs> some one might say battle, maybe. one might say that it, it didn't come fast enough <laughs> one might say that <laughs> one might one might one might <laughs> um, so I, there, there's not a whole lot left to the episode uh, Vatic is defeated at that point the, the crew get back together um, Shaw retakes the captain's chair only to immediately turn the next order of business over to his XO. And then we don't see him again for the rest of the episode. Seven steps up and tells uh, the tactical officer to uh, target the Shrike and says, everything we've got, fire. And apparently, photon <laughs> apparently all that the Titan has is five photon torpedoes. Which didn't we say early in the season that they didn't have the firepower to do that? <laughs> that they couldn't take on the shark, and now they're going to blow it up with a few shots. And well, when it's Riker just, it's said, just "Sitting there unmanned," but they they also have never fired phasers from this ship. Yeah, but also remember this. I mean, this ship has been in heavy combat situations before, and it hasn't been to any star base to restock or to do anything. So that might have been all they had left. Yeah, and Jordy said that they were kind of held together with duct tape. And <laughs> yeah, that's the, true. the thing is, Stone there's, there's at least and... two phaser arrays on the top of the primary hull that have never been fired. They're coming yeah. on Tuesday. It's a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is this is twice this season that someone has said, fire everything we've got, and it's been not much. The first time they did it had no effect on the strike whatsoever. The second time they did it, it blew the shit out of that thing. Yeah. Well, that would out. explain why Shaw earlier in the season was like, we're no match for these guys. We've got nothing. We have no weapons, even though we're a Starfleet ship that very much should. <laughs> so it's consistent with <laughs> itself. After our, our classic TNG crew sits around the table, um, all of them in their wicked styling uh, Starfleet leather jackets, uh, and then they decide that Jack has a darkness in him and they need to figure out what's going on with him if they're going to figure out what's going on with Frontier Day. And Chris had a little theory about this. Yeah, um, I don't think the darkness is Jack. Uh, I've, I've shared this on the thread, but I haven't been on the show yet this season. Um, I think Beverly is a changeling. That would exchange, that, that, that would explain a 20 year absence 
because the real Beverly is somewhere else. You guys pointed out, I didn't know this because I didn't really watch with captions until this episode, which had some god-awful audio, but anyway, um, that Jack is hearing whisperings of Beverly saying, find me, find me. And then Deanna comes on the ship and she says, I sense a darkness here and a darkness around Jack. I think that Beverly is a changeling. And I think that Deanna grabbing her hand from across the table saying, oh, I've missed you so much, is her making sure that she's right because she probably can't get a read on Bev. It's almost like a more more troubles, more tribbles, more troubles moment when Spock touches the Klingons. And uh, that's animated series stuff. But I really think that Beverly's a changeling. Deanna has already figured it out. And she's now trying to get some recon to figure out what Jack is so that that they they'll have this this culmination in the last two episodes yeah the only thing that i have the only problem that i have with that is that beverly is the one that dissected the changeling and told them what they are and Uh how they work and everything what better cover can you have yeah well we've we've discussed this earlier i i don't disagree with you chris but i think if she is a changeling she doesn't know it Maybe she, she has, has a power rate in her. Well, what, what, I, what I compared it to, because I, I, I don't know if you heard, remember the asparagus dude in TAS who mimicked the guy so much that he fell in love with his the, the dead dude's wife? And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. That was the Ted Knight one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think it may, you know, if, if Beverly is not Beverly, I think that's kind of a situation like that where she was mimicked so well that she thinks she is Beverly. All right. I mean, I maybe... One thing I've been laughing my, my, my ass off about, you guys have been saying it throughout the season, is, oh, they have a changeling, like, stowed away inside of them. Like, where in the human body are you going to find enough cavity to, like, carry a, a changeling? It's pretty packed in there, guys. I think it might kill somebody instantly to have a changeling just, you know, curl up your nose and, what, like, like line itself in where? Your epidermis? What? I don't... I, I, I never bought that. I mean, I don't think that there are like stowaway changelings inside of humans. I just don't yeah, think that's I don't, physiologically possible. I don't if, think if it's a changeling. I don't think it's a changeling, changeling because... If a changeling is mimicking blood, it could replace your blood. So now your blood is a changeling. Oh, no, that's just fake blood. Can it can it carry oxygen? Yeah, I don't, but, I don't think it's a changeling because changelings are not <laughs> like drills. You know, they're not like a, a symbiote. Right. But... Um, no, but there obviously was carrying, something. I think that she is a changeling. I don't think she's carrying a changeling. Yeah, there was something that Vatic would, <laughs> would cut her hand off and it would turn into a scary head and talk to her. And then it went back. So there's obviously some other being that can be in a host. But I don't know if it's a changeling or not. I don't. I'm, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on, on the show in previous episodes or not. But I, I no longer think that when Vatic was removing her hand, I don't think that was a separate entity that was rising up in front of her that she was talking to. I think that she was dropping a portion of her uh, changeling plasm into the subspace walk. And then that would float up and it was acting essentially like a liquid view screen. Whoever she was communicating with, their face was represented by her uh, liquid hand but i don't think when when it dropped back down into the bowl and it reattached to her arm i don't think that was the person she was talking to rejoining the rest of her body i think that they were just speaking through that why did she have to cut it off with a knife 
Because because it made for a cool looking scene. That's I, the only thing yeah. that I can think of, Nick. I I have no idea. It why didn't they just use a? Why didn't they just separate? Why didn't they just use a hologram or a view screen like everybody else when they talk on a subspace relay? <laughs> oh, why did they use gurneys with squeaky wheels in section thirty <laughs> one? On on concrete instead of uranium, right? I, <sighs> Why is there Not all dust and rubble in the bulkhead of every starship? Yeah. <laughs> That's programmable matter. <laughs> That's gone inert. I think it's insulation. That's my theory. It's cold out there in space. You need a little bit of barrier. <laughs> so that that essentially brings us to to the end of the episode. I and I think we have I think we have proven in this episode more than most that we can find the tiniest little things to nitpick and spend, you know, 20 minutes talking about each of those things. But overall, I think we have covered the bulk of the episode. That being said, final thoughts, closing remarks. What do you got? Sean? No, I've said everything I've got to say. Chris? <laughs> I think that this is um, the strongest uh, season of Star Trek in a long time, and I am greatly looking forward to seeing how it ends. Neek? Chris, you cray. This is one of the worst episodes of the season. No, I just I said the season, strongest seasons of Star Trek. Okay, strongest yeah, yeah, season. yeah. Okay. I think that this 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 season of Picard is one of the strongest seasons of Star Trek I've ever seen. Of all Star Trek. Of all Star Trek, I In love all it. All the Star Trek that's ever been. Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you why. Because it finally looks again like all the Star Trek that's ever been. It looks like '90s Trek, but but the next you know, the next chapter of that. And when I'm watching it, I feel like I'm back in a familiar universe. It's not skirting around the universe. It's why I love the, the, the first episode of the second season of Picard, because we were finally back in like Starfleet. And I feel like Disco is its own thing. I feel like Prodigy is its own thing. I feel like the first two seasons of Picard have been on that godforsaken La Serena or somewhere back in San Francisco saving the whales. Finally, we're on the bridge of a starship in the late 24th, early 25th century, and it's like a continuation of 90s Trek. And I like that about it. And yeah, that's why I say, I mean, I haven't enjoyed Star Trek this much since Deep Space Nine. Okay, fair. Yeah. And I don't entirely disagree. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Coming from you, high praise indeed. <laughs> Tom. I think we're going to find a Borg subplot here, but... I don't know that we really looked at that too much. I think that's entirely possible as well. Again, they're waiting until pretty late in the game. Yeah, I hope not because they did the Borg last year, so. And the year before. And the year before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see. We we have gone too long tonight. We can't dive into the the possible uh, uh, Borg lines that they might try to bring in the final two episodes. So we'll see what happens next week. Rick. I would watch the hell out of a uh, Shaw Seven of Nine spinoff series, assuming Shaw survives this. This Star Trek series. Titan, yeah, I I wish they would. I I love the the chemistry between the two of them. Uh, where this season is going, I have no idea, and I'm kind of. No, it doesn't even pay me to say it. I don't care. I really don't care. They've lost me. They have, as much as I love nostalgia, and I've said that many, many times over the course of this podcast, 
they are just dragging this out too much. And I don't care what Jack is. Uh, I don't care what they're going to do for Frontier Day because it's been two hours away for three f episodes now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I I, I'm enjoying the interactions. I'm enjoying the, the the relationships, but this plot line is has totally lost me. You know, we'll, we'll be, I, I I won't be back for next week because I've I've got a show that's opening next week, so I'll be in in rehearsals. But uh, I'll be back for the finale. I hope, um, and and I'm sure it will be disappointing as it has been for the last three years. Uh, so yeah, there I am. And I don't have any medical advice for y'all this week. Sorry. <laughs> I remain hopeful. There have been aspects of this season uh, in, in various episodes that I have not loved. There have been uh, certain parts and plots of this season that have taken longer than they need to, longer than they should. Um, and it, it's hard to stay invested in them. The affection that I have for the characters is carrying a lot of water as far as keeping me invested in in the season and i think fortunately for a lot of us the the writing the production value and the performances have been better this season than in the previous two seasons of this series and that also helps a lot they're they still lag behind in in keeping the pacing up and keeping us interested in uh, certain plot lines and uh, new characters especially overall I think they can still pull it off if they can if they can stick the landing with these last two episodes then it's going to be without a doubt the best season of this series and one of the better seasons of modern trek if they stick the landing for these last two episodes i'm not going to get my hopes up too high but i am going to remain hopeful I, even if they don't stick the landing, this is far and away the best season of Picard ever. The the next two episodes can be black screens, and it's still the best season of Picard. The best season of Picard, yes. Um, but I, I I can't deny the fact that the first season of Strange New Worlds was was really enjoyable. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I want to be wowed by the end of this season. I haven't been... I, I wish that Modern Trek could consistently wow me beginning to end premiere to finale the way that hbo's watchmen did a lot of shows have a hard time living up to that but i i thought that entire season was magnificent top to bottom and i keep wishing that star trek could give us something like that this is this is the jj abrams curse and we've talked about this before in previous seasons the goddamn mystery box mm. stop with the mystery box, just tell a compelling story. That's, I mean, that's not, that's just modern television. That's not J.J. Abrams. Uh, yeah, it's just, that's just, my, that's the way television is now. I mean, as Chris has been talking about that on the Quantum Leap podcast. It, the mystery box thing is just, it's, it's just if I never hear the term mystery box ever again, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm to blame because I said it like 85 times on every episode. Of I this am so with Leap. you on that. <laughs> I, I agree with Sean in that it is becoming more prevalent in a lot of television, but I'm also with you, Rick, in that it's become a big thing in Star Trek since 2009, since yeah. that movie came out. And I, I, I can't disagree. You're absolutely right. Um, fingers crossed that things will, will have a strong finish for this season. What a and twist. We'll, we'll, 
we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, go around real quick with some uh, pitches and plugs. Sean, what you got? Um, you can find me here. You can find me on Cosmic Potato occasionally. Not doing as much as I uh, as I have in the past, but when I do, uh, you'll find it on InfinitePotato.com. Rick, you got anything for the people? I hate gnats. Uh, and if anyone in uh, the uh, uh, Pinellas, Pasco, Manatee County area is selling a house, call me. <laughs> you say you hate gnats? Gnats. This oh, is okay. the time of year when they gather outside our door, and I've got more goddamn gnats in the house now than we've got people, and it makes me crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't think that would take too much. Yeah. What? You've only got four people, right? It's still four <laughs> is five is more gnats than I want in this house. True. Apart True. <laughs> Tom, you got anything to share? Uh, no, you can just find me here and anywhere else that uh, the fine infinite potato hosts might see fit to ask me to join. <laughs> Neek, where can people find you? You can go to superanemic.com and read my comic recaps of all the Star Trek episodes ever. They're completely complimentary, and they are a love letter to all Star Trek, and they never say anything bad about them whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I would never! <laughs> and while I appreciate everyone being on this panel, I want to give special appreciation to Christopher D. Philippus for joining us from the Quantum Leap podcast. Why? Because... You have not been on this season, and it's a joy to have you. Where can people find you on the Wild Web? Uh, at quantumleappodcast.com. Uh, we just wrapped up the first season of the reboot series, so if you haven't watched it yet, get Peacock, stream the series, binge the series, binge our podcast along with it. And uh, starting in a week, maybe two, we are going back to uh, classic series stuff. So I think we're coming back with a show about the novel Pulitzer, and then after that, play it again, Seymour. And uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. And we're going to be doing a lot of um, retrospective stuff about all the interviews that we got to do this first season. Um, yeah. Many of them, which never made the podcast because uh, they were all on the YouTube channel. So tons and tons and tons of stuff coming. For, for people who have been watching this first season of the Quantum Leap reboot and have not been checking out this podcast, I urge you to do so. Not only are their discussions really sharp and incredibly insightful uh, when they discuss these, uh, uh, episodes, but the interviews that they've gotten on this season of their podcast have been amazing. Like every, uh, core cast member from, from the new quantum leap show has been on the quantum leap podcast. And it's been a delight to listen to the, their, their podcast for the season finale of quantum leap featured three of the main stars of the show all at once, all together in a round table. It was, it was wonderful. Everyone go listen to this podcast. I got to tell you, uh, Chris, if you, uh, if you overheard through the, through the heavens, me calling you a son of a bitch a few times this season. <laughs> no, but I apologize because you can uh, always just say it right to my face. Sean. No, I'm I just, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, watch, uh, I was, uh, watching, well, Quantum Leap had just ended. It was the episode that Brandon Routh was on, and I was thumbing through Facebook, and I saw you post that you interviewed Brandon Routh, and I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, um, we have Matt Dale to thank for all of that. Uh, my co-host Matt uh, has been just phenomenal about chasing these people down and getting them on. And I also just, you know, um, Dean Jorgeris, who is the executive producer and the showrunner, has been nothing but, you know, generous and kind with his time. Like, he'll just, like, text Albie when an episode's on saying, what do you think? Or, you know... Matt, just like we have this weird, unprecedented access. If you had told me, you know, when when I started just taking over this 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 little podcast five years ago, that we would be speaking to every major cast member and the behind the scenes producers and showrunners for the new Quantum Leap, uh, just casually, I, I'd say yeah, right. But um, yeah, that's a testament to the legacy that Albie built and to the hard work that both Albie and Matt have done for this season. I feel like I just show up on mic and sometimes at the interviews because they're just doing <laughs> all of the heavy lifting. So. Well, when you guys talk, you you guys talked to Ernie Hudson, and I think the the interview lasted what a good 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And um, and at the end of it, he says, "What you don't have any Ghostbusters questions?" I was like. <laughs> Man, that's an open invitation. Talk to him for three hours about Ghostbusters. Come on. Yeah, yeah, no. They, yeah. Ernie, yeah. That, anyway, this is not my podcast. This is your podcast. Thank you guys for the compliments. I appreciate it. QuantumLeapPodcast.com. And as for myself, you can find me hosting this show. You occasionally find me on Captain Game Show and uh, on Cosmic Potato, where we are doing a, a slow but steady rewatch of sliders um if you're tired of listening to me you can check out my website www.planetrisecreative.com check out some of my graphic artwork and as we were recording i received an email that the spring 2023 issue of star trek quarterly is now live and that issue of the fanzine includes a piece of short fiction written by myself so you can see some of the writing that I do. If you check out, I think it's StarTrekQuarterly.com. Um, they have a WordPress site where they put the fanzine out. Or just search Star Trek Quarterly on Facebook and you will find it. With that, we're going to thank everyone for listening, for downloading, hopefully for subscribing. And we invite you to come back next week and hear us discuss the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 9, Vox. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast. Not doing as much as I uh, as I have in the past, but when I do when I do do stuff, uh, you'll find it on infinitepotato.com. You said, dude. <laughs> <laughs>